Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Tuesday, May 23rd. I'm Shelby Herbert reporting for KFSK. Four fishing guides at a Petersburg Lodge are being charged by the state of Alaska with over 50 violations. The four men were working for Rocky Point Resort in 2019 and 2020. All of the charges are misdemeanors involving illegal fishing for halibut. Halibut is strictly regulated with a limited quota for commercial and sports fishermen, and the harvests must be documented. State and federal officers were involved in the investigations, including undercover officers posing as fishing clients. The officers say they saw 62-year-old Gregory Wasik and 59-year-old Christopher Thomas break several laws, taking too many customers, too many halibut, using too many fishing lines, throwing out small halibut to keep larger ones, and throwing out halibut that had been gaffed or hooked for bringing the fish on board. The state also says the guides did not accurately document the halibut their clients caught. Wasik is being charged with charged with 17 counts for violations in June of 2019. And Thomas faces 25 counts for violations in June and August of 2020. The state is charging 43-year-old Charles King, known as Nick, with 10 counts for underreporting halibut caught by his clients in the summer of 2020. And John Robert Snyder is being charged with two similar counts for violations in August of 2020. Snyder's age was not listed in the court documents. Some of the halibut involved were gaff fish, or what's a called a guided angler fish. They are halibut quota that is sold by commercial fishermen to guided sports fishermen through a federal catch sharing program. Even though federal investigators were involved, there are no federal charges at this time. NOAA Fisheries spokesperson Dominic Andrews said in an email that they are currently investigating and cannot comment. Rocky Point Resort has been owned by a Petersburg family since 1984 and offers guided and unguided fishing. The person who answered the phone at the resort on Monday said she didn't know about the charges and said no one else was there to comment. The arraignment for all four guides is set for Wednesday, May 31st at 10 a.m. at the Petersburg Courthouse. The state's prosecuting attorney is Ronald Dupuis with the Office of Special Prosecutions in Anchorage. He was unavailable for comment. Plastic, wood, fishing nets, and buoys are just some of the waste that washes up on even the most remote parts of Alaska's coastline. Now, programs aimed at cleaning up that marine debris are getting a funding boost from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. That's thanks to an influx of grant money from the bipartisan infrastructure law. As Kirsten Dobrith reports, some of that funding will beef up marine debris cleanup in Kodiak. Nearly $14 million in federal funding is earmarked for two separate programs aimed at cleaning up marine debris in the state. The money is distributed through NOAA's Marine Debris Program and funded by the bipartisan infrastructure law that was passed in 2021. Peter Murphy is Alaska's regional debris coordinator with NOAA. He says the new programs go beyond cleaning up existing debris. But also prevention, finding ways to reduce how much is getting to the ocean because at the end of the day, we're not going to be able to clean our way out of the problem. A portion of the funds will go to the University of Alaska Fairbanks to establish a center for marine debris based in Kodiak. 
That will serve as a kind of headquarters for marine debris removal projects across the state. The center will eventually be able to process and recycle debris that's shipped there. The other project is focused on removing abandoned fishing gear from Chesapeake Bay on the East Coast. More than half the funds will go to that project, but it will also include a grant program that organizations in Alaska can tap into. Murphy says abandoned gear is a problem across the country, and it has a big impact on fisheries. For instance, a study in southeast Alaska showed that abandoned crab pots were still catching crabs and other marine animals years after they were lost. Fishing gear is a specifically impactful type of marine debris um, because once it gets lost or abandoned in the marine environment, it does what it was intended to do. It continues to catch animals, but it does so indiscriminately. Money for both programs is included in the bipartisan infrastructure law for this year, and both the marine debris and fishing gear cleanup programs are set to start this summer. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. The Petersburg School District just received approval for a $25,000 grant that will help keep its mental health counseling services afloat. The funding comes from the Suicide Awareness Prevention Program, Postvention Program, or SAP, which is federally funded. According to the latest data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Alaska has the third highest suicide mortality rate in the nation but the state's ranking worsens when adjusted for the age of the victims. A 2020 report shows Alaska's adolescent suicide rate is the highest in America. It's more than three times the national average. The SAP program provides resources to Alaska schools to prevent youth suicide. Some of those are human resources, like helping to fund counseling by Ashley Kawashima, who works as a behavioral health clinician for Petersburg Medical Center. Kawashima often sees higher needs students, such as those who have experienced significant traumas, are having suicidal thoughts, or are exhibiting self-harming behaviors. She gets paid through the SAP grant, and as of this weekend, her work at the schools has been secured for the next five years. The school district has been a SAP grantee for many years. In early May, as the district reached the end of its current five-year grant period, Petersburg's counselors said the possibility of starting the next school year without that resource was almost incomprehensible. In its rush to finish the work, in its rush to finish work last week, the Alaska legislature passed a bill they hope could create a whole new revenue source in the future. The idea is to get paid to protect Alaska's forests. They want to do that by selling something called carbon offsets. So what are carbon offsets, and does this plan make sense? Kavitha George reports. Ahead of the legislative session, Governor Mike Dunleavy pitched it as a new plan to help solve Alaska's budget crisis. Alaska has a real opportunity to realize a new revenue source that could uh, that uh, could actually rival um, uh, the revenue we get in some cases from oil. A revenue source to rival oil. What is that opportunity? Storing carbon. Carbon emissions from burning fossil fuels to wildfires drive climate change. And so there's a growing market that will pay landowners to keep carbon out of the atmosphere. One way to do that is by protecting ecosystems that naturally hold carbon, like forests or tundra. Alaska has a lot of forests and tundra, and Dunleavy says a lot of ways to store carbon. The scale that Alaska has to offer on this is unprecedented. 
the governor made the issue a major priority and proposed a couple different plans to get Alaska started in the carbon business. Last week, at the last minute, the legislature passed one of Dunleavy's bills. It authorized the State Department of Natural Resources to explore selling carbon offsets. So what is a carbon offset? Imagine I'm a trucking company. I'm burning diesel to transport goods around the country. That releases carbon into the atmosphere, and with growing pressure to act on climate change, I want to cut my carbon footprint. One way to do that is to pay someone else to remove carbon from the atmosphere to offset the carbon I'm adding. Someone else has done something good for the climate, and it can compensate for my ongoing emissions. Freya Che is with the nonprofit Carbon Plan. She says for the offset to really do its job, it has to represent a real benefit to the climate. So when we're talking about compensating for the act of burning fossil fuels, we have to be taking carbon back out of that atmosphere and storing it somewhere effectively permanently. One way to store it is in natural carbon sinks, like forests. Trees are great at sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. And so the idea is that the state could get paid to protect its forests. Some Alaska Native corporations have already had success selling offsets. And as more companies look to shrink their carbon footprint, the demand for carbon offsets is expected to grow. The Department of Natural Resources has identified some state forests it believes could generate offsets in the Matsu, the Tanana Valley, and near Haines. Commissioner John Boyle says it's a new way to think about Alaska's forest land. We see it as a way to monetize state resources that are currently not being monetized. It's important to note that we're not talking about anything on the scale of oil revenue the state brings in, yet. The governor's vision included another bill that didn't pass this year. A DNR consultant estimated this program would generate only about $82 million in the program's first 10 years. Boyle is more optimistic. We're quite confident that it will be a significant revenue generator, but we're not. We don't have the information right now to make a great guess on what that may be. One key question is who would buy Alaska's offsets? Boyle says he's not aware of any specific companies who have expressed interest yet. But as demand for offsets increases, he believes Alaska can be the supply. As the state moves forward with the process, Carbon Plan's Freya Che has one big concern. Will Alaska's plan actually benefit the climate? Because you're not supposed to sell offsets out of any old forest. To serve its purpose, an offset should save that forest land from some threat, like timber harvest or development, or somehow improve forest management to store more carbon. Che says, so far, Alaska seems more focused on the revenue potential than the climate benefits. I find it very plausible that Alaska could make money with a a forest carbon offset program. And the real question for me is, like, what does that program actually achieve? And what are the the costs, not to Alaska's budget, um, but to bigger systems that we care about? DNR says it's exploring a range of options to store carbon effectively. Commissioner Boyle suggested more active land management, for instance, to mitigate wildfire threat or replant trees. DNR also plans to explore ocean-based opportunities for carbon storage. All of these ideas are in their infancy. DNR estimates it will take six months to a year to write the regulations to govern the offset market. The offset bill passed with overwhelming support from both the Alaska Senate and House last week. 
even from lawmakers for whom climate is not a priority. Whether you believe in climate change or not, this is how the operations are being played around the world. That's Tom McKay, Republican chair of the House Resources Committee, offering his support just before the bill's final vote. And I think it's good that Alaska gets involved because a lot of other states are doing this and uh, we're, we're missing the boat if we don't uh, get on board. Kathy Giesel, Republican Senate Resources Chair, stressed that this is just the first step. Not all the questions have been answered about this particular, uh, I'll call it an industry. Uh, there's still a lot of unknowns. Including whether Governor Dunleavy's dream of Alaska becoming a major player in the world carbon market has a chance. In Anchorage, I'm Kavitha George. Two Alaska Native organizations are creating lending institutions dedicated to funding clean energy and environmental infrastructure projects. The Valdez Native Tribe launched Alaska Green Capital, the state's first green bank, earlier this year, and Spruce Root is joining a coalition to form a national green bank. Joe Orvidson is on the operations team at Alaska Green Capital. He says the bank can access newly available funding through the federal government and from private foundations, and then distribute the money to local businesses and individuals through low-interest loans. There's a lot of people with really cool ideas, and they have difficulty getting funding. This funding can go to people who might not traditionally have been able to get a loan, um, you know, we have the ability to lose a little bit of money, so we're not going to be as conservative as a traditional bank. So it could definitely help stimulate the economy. Projects could range from carbon-absorbing kelp and oyster farms to hydroelectric plants. Separately, Spruce Root last month announced a partnership with the Coalition for Green Capital, a national green bank, which is better positioned to leverage federal funding for its several regional stakeholders. Spruce Root is a nonprofit that supports entrepreneurs in southeast Alaska, especially rural and native-owned businesses. Executive Director Elena Peterson says the new money will target renewable energy initiatives, addressing the high costs of diesel power and transporting goods. So if we can start to address energy challenges with solutions, then as a region we can become more resilient. And so a green bank allows us to uh, set up a financing mechanism to help create those solutions. She points out this will also allow interest from loans to go back into the community. If we're taking out loans within the region, millions of dollars, it would be better off if that money was actually being lent out from a local regional organization so that the interest earned could actually go back into the region itself rather than leaving the region altogether. Meanwhile, Governor Dunleavy introduced legislation last month to set up a state green bank called the Energy Independence Fund, but it did not pass during the regular session. Thank you so much for joining me for Midday Magazine. My name is Shelby Herbert, and I report for KFSK.